You're listening to Diverse City Podcast. Please stay tuned to hear a powerful word. For giving or more church information, check us out at diversecity.church. Or to text to give, text DIVERSE to 73256. Thank you for listening and enjoy the word. No pressure, but the time is coming. Anyway, John chapter 4, y'all got it? Okay, five people, the other 115-ish people. You got it? All right, let's read together. One, two, three. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks... I'll just turn around, make sure we're in unison. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Last verse. Here we go. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have come to keep coming. Somebody over here messing me up. And have to keep coming here to draw water. Before you sit down, just look at three people, Dad and I, and just say, you look thirsty, and you can sit down. You look thirsty. My bad. You look thirsty. Stay right there. Don't move yet, Wilsons. You look thirsty. Cut up the lights a little bit. I want to see all of these beautiful faces we have in the sanctuary, Pastor Drew. If we can just get a little bit more lights in the house, that'll help me out. All right. Still battling a little something, but we're good. All right, so here we are, John chapter 4. A beautiful love story. I see a few faces that were not here last week, so let's kind of break this down a little bit. We have a beautiful love story in the Bible. Now, this is different than some of your classics that you'll see on the Hallmark Channel, on the OWN Network, on BET TV One, wherever you go to enjoy your rom-com. This is better than what we're able to see in Netflix. This is better than Love Jones. This is better than P.S. I Love You. This is better than Brown sugar. Oh, what else? You know, I don't see these type of movies. This is better than Save the Last Dance. Hallelujah. This is better than Titanic. This is better than The Notebook. Yo, we're my notebook fans. Gosh, almost made me cry. This is better than loving basketball. This is better than any movie you have ever seen. The title's not good. The Woman at the Well, you know, probably I would call it the ultimate love connection. But we see in the text here you have an unnamed Samaritan woman encountering the man, Jesus Christ. We don't get much details on her. We don't know her backgrounds, but this is the longest conversation between Jesus and anyone else. 
more than he talked to his disciples, more than he talked to the crowds. The Sermon on the Mount is longer, but this is his longest conversation of them speaking and him speaking. And it's so good, I can't even get through it in all one week. So as we discussed last week, before we even get to verse number 15, the story starts off with Jesus and his disciples ministering, teaching, and preaching, and they're in Judea, and Jesus says, I need to go to Galilee. The Lord has need of me up there, and there's a hike that they all have to take. They leave early in the morning, and as they're making their way up Highway 55, God says, I need to go to Samaria. Disciples don't ask. They don't question. As soon as they get to Samaria, Jesus gets there and he says, I'm hungry and I'm tired. So all of the disciples go, get some food. And Jesus is here waiting at the well. The Bible talks about, maybe in verse chapter 6, that it's at noontime, it's hot. Commentaries will tell you they were been on a a five-hour journey because there's no cars, there's no Hondas, there's no Uber, but God is on a mission. So as we discussed point number one, which we were able to see, is that Jesus will wait on you. When Jesus called a detour to go to Samaria, he had an appointment to meet this woman. Now, for many of us, I don't know your testimony. I don't know your story. We know God shows up in church. But for some of us, we've had encounters outside of church. You were leaving from the club. It was great. It was two-for-one special. Next thing you know, you're driving home, and the presence of God just hits you. And say, you know what? You can do better than this. You can be in the grocery store, going to aisle two to get some bread, and before you get there, you hit aisle three, the daily bread shows up and says, let's talk. You could be in your car, minding your own business, get to work, and there's lunchtime, and you're at the break room, and the tears just start to fall down your eyes because Jesus knows how to surprise you. Jesus will ambush you. When he wants to get your attention, he'll show up. No matter how long it waits, when others have died, when others were not able to make it this far, Jesus surprised us. And then also, as many of us are going on the fast, being intentional about our time, being intentional about praying, being intentional about giving God our first, we can strategically set an appointment up with him. You wake up, the alarm clock there, you open your Bible, Jesus is right there. He'll minister to you. He'll give you clarity. He'll give you vision. He'll give you direction. He'll give you peace when you know you're ready to slap this person. Number two, Jesus will break the rules for you. Jesus is not bound by the U.S. laws. He's not bound by the the world laws. He'll break gender rules. He'll break moral rules. He'll break religious rules. We always do it like this in church. Jesus can do a new thing in 2020. If you're ready. If not, he may just ambush you. Number three. I'm losing my notes already. What's number three? Jesus 
is for everybody. The people you like, the people you don't like, the Samaritan, the Jews, the Chicago Cubs fan, the Cardinals fans, the Chiefs fans, the Patriots fans. That's what you get. The Titans fans. Jesus says, I'm for everybody. My blood was enough for everybody, for diversity, and for all of the churches here and across the world. Point number four, as we discussed last week, Jesus says, what's in your cup? We had on stage, we had a well, and then we had cups. And Jesus saying, a lot of us ain't drinking enough living water. We're drinking muscle milk. We're drinking coffee. And God is saying, you can have a little bit of this, but are you drinking from the well? Are you drinking from the living water? So now that everyone's caught up, because we're about to get in, like this is like the middle of the movie. So everybody's up to speed. Y'all good? Oh, gosh, here we go. So title of today's message is, I'm still thirsty. I am still thirsty. Now, this week has been a rough week for me. As you know, last week I asked y'all to pray for me. David got sick first, and as one gets sick, we all get sick. My son was sick, then I got sick, and then my daughter got sick, and then my wife got sick, and the two of them are still sick, and I'm sick of them being sick. So after two days, your pastor is a stubborn medicine taker. Everybody else is taking medicine. I said, okay, you know what? It's been two days. I'm tired of this. I'm dragging. I got to figure out something. So I go to my favorite place to get rid of sickness, the sauna. Hallelujah. I said, man, the gym I go to, it doesn't have a sauna, so I waited two days, and I'm like, you know what? It's worth the extra 10 minutes. I'm going to the sauna. And as many as you know, the sauna is a hot room. It gets to 160 to 200 degrees. Or if you're like me, you come in there, and you drop 32 ounces of water on it and say, let's burn it up. Let's get it all out. Let's get the toxins loose. Let's get free. And I'm telling you, Thursday, I was feeling good. So what did I do? Double back, went again. Not only 20, I went 30 minutes, dumped the water on there. Friday, I'm feeling great. Everybody else looking sick. And the sauna was awesome. You should try it. Hashtag club fitness. But here's the thing. No matter how much water I had to drink, I had some smart water. I had some core water. I had some Voss water. And I would chug it all down before I went into the sauna. As soon as I came out, I'm thirsty. Where, do you, where have you been this week that feels like a sauna? Where have you been this week that has dehydrated you? Coworkers? Even just driving on the road? Sometimes they don't even have to be in your presence. It's just a phone call. And you said, you know, if I pick this up, they're going to sap all of my energy. I'm feeling great. There's a few people 
not in this church because everybody's great here. They, call, they will call my phone, and I say, you know what? I'm not going to pick this up. I'm going to check the voicemail. And if it's not an emergency, I need 24 hours. Because they're dehydrating me. Thirsty. Go back to the text. It says, but, who, but for whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of welling up to eternal life. And so we have this woman that was confused, trying to figure out why is Jesus talking to her. And now in verse 15, she's curious. She says, sir, give me this water. I'm tired of being thirsty. I'm tired of looking at my situation being the same. I feel good on Sunday. I'm hanging on Monday. But by Tuesday, I need some more water. Because water is our strongest basic need as human beings. Statistics and studies will show you that we're made up of 70% water. I said, dang, only 30% of that is me? So if you're overweight, just say I'm extra hydrated. <laughs> and if you're real skinny, you're dehydrated. We all need water sooner or later. Again, your strongest basic need is water, not food. You can go 40 days without food. Make sure God told you, but you can. You can go 40 days without sets. No, my touchitis starts to kick in. Nope, you will survive. You will make it. You will be okay. But as long as you're having water to be able to replenish, if you're having water to be able to refresh you, you will not go dehydrated. Some of us need some milk, and you got to wait another week. But we all have to have more water. Somebody say, give me a drink. Now, we talked about others inflicting our dehydration, but let's get real. We do stuff to cause dehydration ourselves. If your car gets repossessed, then God will have your attention to come get this living water. If you get an eviction notice, then God can get attention. Sometimes we do self-inflicted things that leads us in a place of dehydration. And sometimes God is saying, hey, you're right here, but if you really want to be up here, you got to get another drink. And so when he gives us this invitation, we have to be able to answer it. And this invitation means that he has to become number one. That doesn't mean he's more important than alcohol. He's more important than pornography. There's all of these things. Look straight ahead. I'm not talking about you. Maybe your neighbor. That we're leading in our life that are causing dehydration. 
And there are some of us on the fast, and you prayed this. The Lord showed me in the spirit, if I have a piece of chicken, everything will be okay. And you sat there, and you licked your lips, and you said baked, and you said fried, and you said wings. The legs look good. The thighs look good too. But God is challenging you to drink more water. Maybe you don't like chicken. And now that you're thinking about chicken, toasted ravioli get jealous. St. Louis, y'all be hooking it up. Mm-hmm. And you're being tempted to see if you're willing to drink from the living well. Some of y'all don't like me. Maybe it's chocolate. And you're like, if I could just get one Hershey's Kisses. And you have a deep relationship with chocolate. It's like, I don't even want to eat it. Just pull down the side and let me kiss it. And God is saying, no, no. You want 2020 focus. You want 2020 vision. I see it. It's like, boom. You don't even want to eat it. You just want to. Let them know that you ain't forgot about them. Let them know on the Super Bowl we can have as much time together. And we forget that all of these things will lead us to thirst again. All of these things are put in a band-aid when God wants to fix the core issue. Now, when I was reading this passage, you would think at this point, a lady that doesn't know Christ, has been approached, has been in the midst of the situation. We use this verse to talk about evangelism, to be practical. And at this point, we see in verse 15 that the lady is waving the flag and says, you know what? I give up. Whatever you got, I'll take it. I'm tired of being in these patterns. I'm tired of being in the same circumstance. And I'm reading them like, Jesus, hit him with the altar call. You got it right where you want it. She's ready to give her life and serve you. But then in verse 16, this had me tripping. Check this out. And he told her, oh, God, go and call your husband and come back. Oh, sucky, sucky. Jesus, won't you just get her saved first? Then she can go back and get her husband. And before Jesus is ready to lead her in the sinner's prayer, he checks her. Go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. She replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. And to make matters worse. Check this out. Verse 17, it says, oh no, 18, my bad. (laughs) The fact is, you have had five husbands, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five husbands. Woo! And the man you now have, he ain't the one. Which, what you have is just as you said, It's quite true, sir. Now, 
The woman responded in the most dignified way as possible. I can see that you are a prophet. So what do we see here? The confrontation. What Jesus is saying, that faith must be accompanied by change. We can't just follow him and just continue on. We can't just follow him and expect things to continue to be the same. And we have Jesus in this passage. During this time, he says, I need to identify the area in your life that is not bringing satisfaction. I need you to understand the thing that you're replacing in my spot ain't going to get it done. It's good to talk about this in January. Many of us are fasting. Our hearts is open. We're ready to receive. We're ready to see something new and God do a new thing. And God is saying, what is the area in your life that you think is bringing satisfaction that's doing nothing. Now, before we sit there in our saved, dignified self, and we want to get on the lady, and we want to give her a bad rap and say, dang, five times you've been married? What's wrong with you? Five times? I'm just trying to get my first one. But if you read Hebrew scripture and the culture, Women don't even have the power to divorce their husband. So how did this happen? One of two scenarios. Number one, she married a guy. He has five brothers. She hooks up with the first one. He ends up dying. She marries the next one. He's a, he ends up dying. He marries another one and they end up dying. I don't know what's going on. If she can't cook, if she's poisoning them, she can't stand them. But she goes through this process over and over again, making vows, making commitments for better or for worse, and they keep on dying. Or scenario number two, the Bible will tell you if you study Jewish and Hebraic culture, that men can divorce their women for any reason. If they find another lady more attractive, I'm done with you. If they uncover something physically that they don't like, they can divorce you. You can't cook, I'm done. You can't produce a man-child, I'm done. And many of us whether it's been through marriage or whatever the circumstance or situation in our life, we overcommit it to our job and they end up divorcing us. Family members, there's people in here that's been adopted, that's been from family to family to family, going through a part of grieving, going through a part of divorce out of their own power, out of their own will, and she's sitting here saying, why are you getting in my stuff? I had nothing to do with that. I'm powerless. And every time we make another commitment, the next person leaves again. Okay, we're good. He may be the one. And they leave again.
just think about it. How do you act in relationships? We cool, we into each other, we like each other, then they break up with you, and then we go through situations for men, we cut our hair, we shave our hair, we trim our goatee, we cut our goatee, all to show the frustration, the anger that we experience. Women, we cut our hair, we buy new hair, we add hair, we do whatever to show our change. Some of us, like me, we get frustrated, we get upset, we eat everything in sight. And then for others, as we go through these emotions, we won't eat anything. That's just with dating. That's just with one divorce. She's been through five. She is hurting. I'm going to be there for you. I got your back. And men, we go through the same thing. This is not a woman-specific text. And we think we can go from bed to bed to bed to bed, and we want satisfaction, and you're still thirsty. Or we make a commitment, and she leaves you for someone smarter, for someone that has more money, for someone that can offer more than you can, and we're hurt, and we're frustrated. Or we're in the midst of relationships, and it's not love. It is lust. And lust is never satisfied. And we go through the situation one more time. I promise, one more time. One more time, okay? And as soon as we finish the last time, the time comes back again, and they say, one more time. And God is saying, hey, you're trying to find love in all of the wrong places. Let's talk about another man. Let's talk about Samson, full of power, full of strength, able to kill as many people. And over and over, he's laying in this lady lap. What's your power? Oh, no. And time after time again, he plays the situation, wakes up. He got a gang of army, and now he wants to stunt and beat them all up. And then his mom and his dad are telling him, leave those Philistine women alone. They're going to mess you up. And he goes back again and lays his head right in Deliah. And then sooner or later, he reveals his weakness. And he's sitting there blind with no vision, reflecting on how did I have it all in life and I'm sitting here thirsty. Or what about Abraham, the father of many nations? God gave him a promise. You can move to the next one. It talks about, you can skip that. Oh, keep going. In Genesis chapter 15, promise to be father of many nations. He's sitting here with no kids, and God interrupts, has an ambush, just like the woman of the well. And he says, then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars. And if you can, that's how many descendants you will have. And he's giving him this promise when he's barren. He's giving him this promise when we still have issues in our life. He's giving you this promise when we know the person we with is still not working out. 
And so Abraham says, you know what? I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to lust. I'm going to expedite. God needs my help to fix this process. And then before God gives him the promise of Isaac, he births an Ishmael. And Ishmael is a symbol of when the flesh gets ahead of the spirit. The Ishmael is a symbol when we're not willing to be patient and wait on God, and we decide to take matters into our own hand. Next. So now Sarah and Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for them, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. You can go to the next one. Actually move to the next one. I'm getting ahead of myself. So what are we thirsty for? I was preparing this last night, and while I laughed at myself, I started to shed tears and start looking at all of the situations where I've etched God out and said, I got this. And God has been revealing to me over the last two weeks, stop working things out on your own. Do you trust me? But you don't trust me if you're worried about drinking this or that when I have the living water ready for you. Look at this. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's who God came for. Because God is saying he's not trying to fit scars right now. He wants to fit wounds. Wounds, where does it hurt in your life? Where is the part, if your neighbor touched it, it hits you? God is saying, give him the wound. Give him the area that is hurting in your life. And I know in the past, in the last decade, in 2010, in 2011, in 2012, and so on and so forth, God is saying in 2020, do you have to learn by experience or will you learn through an encounter with me? And when we settle, it leads to a chain reaction. And just like Abraham and we see Isaac and Ishmael, that fight, that battle, Christian, so on and so forth, is still something that we all deal with today. John Maxwell said it like this. Average is the top of the bottom. Average is the top of the bottom. Where are your standards at? If they're here, God is saying, go up here. If they're here, God is saying, raise up. Don't settle for average. You're his kid. You're a king's kid. We're the head and not the tail, but why are we not experiencing it? It's because we're dehydrated. It's because we're still thirsty. 
It's not enough to drink on Sundays. It's not enough for us to make an appointment just here. It's not enough for us to just to be able to serve. But God desires to have communion. God desires for us to have a relationship with him. And through our prayer, through our fasting, through our reading, that's how we drink from the living water. Maybe your relationships is tight. You've been married for 30 years. Everything is good there. But there are still people in here that are struggling with shame. They're struggling with self-doubt. We're struggling with guilt. We're struggling with unforgiveness. We're struggling with bitterness. And God is saying, I want to fix that room right there. And he's willing if we give it to him. So just like the woman at the well, we're all on our own personal struggle for pursuit of happiness. Nobody wants to feel divorced. Nobody wants to feel left out. Nobody wants to feel like they got to do it all by yourself. Yes, you can be bad all by yourself, but you can't be great. We are really quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Hallelujah. Human relationships can't be satisfied through spiritual needs. Human relationships can't be satisfied by spiritual needs. What is God saying? Let's make a deal. Deal, no deal. Fake, no fake. Game, no games. Give me that and I'll give you living water. Let's make a deal. See what's behind case number Holy Spirit. See what's behind the fruit of the Spirit. See it. Let's make a deal. Would you give it to me? Let's make a deal. We can pass all of this. I don't care if your family only made it this far. I don't care what they say to you about work. Let's make a deal. Meet me at the well. It's going down. But he wants to deal with our wounds. I know it's tight. So as it goes on, in the midst of all of that, she doesn't get frustrated. She doesn't get upset. She doesn't complain. And she said, you know what? I'm ready to do it. And then they begin to converse, have a conversation. I don't think I have verse number 19 up there, but it's fine. Leave it where you got it, 19 and 20. It talks about, so should we worship on the mountain? Should we worship over here? Should we worship over there? Is there a certain time we need to worship? Do I need to read from the King James? New King James, New International, English Standard, Amplified, the message. God saying, I'm not worried about any of that. But he wants us to pursue him. Pursuit is the proof of desire. Move to the next one. I'm going to just jump to number 24. We're almost done. God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship in his spirit and in truth. That's all God requires. How do I worship him? In spirit and in truth. God is saying, I'm not worried about the what. I'm not worried about the when. I'm not worried about the where. But my focus is on the who and the why. 
doesn't matter where you do it, doesn't matter where you do it, who are we worshiping to and why are you doing it? This verse you're going to hear, you're going to see it a lot this year because this is all we're after. Diverse city, different generations, nationalities, cultures, background. We all have our own unique experience, but the one thing that we agree on, the one thing we have to be able to come on is that this is doctrine. We got to worship him in the spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? Here's something I continuously pray for. Before pastor, after pastor, but one of my greatest mentors told me this, is that we have to desire to be spirit-led, principle-centered. Is it up there? I think so. The next one. Spirit-led, principle-centered. What does that mean? Spirit-led. When God speaks, move with him. When God speaks, follow him. When God speaks, stay with him. When the Spirit speaks, move with him. But then the last part says principle-centered. You're going to hit some bumps in the road. You're going to have times in your life you can't hear him. Principle-centered means trust in what the word, the things that he's already said. Should I do this? Should I do that? It's been 24. It's been 48 hours. He hasn't said anything. He said, go back to the manuscript. Always stick with that. Spirit-led. So when he speaks, we move. When he speaks, we go. But if he's not speaking, we got a 66 shooter. Chapters and verses that we all hold on to. Worship is not about the music. It's not about the songs. It's not about if we have a keyboard player, an organ player, the harp, the drums. But the worship is our lifestyle. Are we doing things unto the Lord? If we are, we're worshiping him in the spirit and in the truth. That means we exalt him. That means we adore him. That means we respect him. That means we reverence him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. Fear right there is not for us to be scared, not to be concerned. Oh, God, he's going to get me. Jesus already died for that. But the fear is for us to be able to have reverence and respect for him. My parents know we got kids. We don't want our kids to be scared of us, but we want them to talk to us. No matter how bad it is, don't lie to them. But we worship in the spirit and in truth. It's our lifestyle. We're growing together as God calls us to new realms, new dimensions. We worship him in the spirit and in truth. I'm jumping to Pastor Virginia, go to John chapter 19. I think it's my second to the last verse. So there's only two passages in the Bible when Jesus actually thirsts. And I sat there studying, I'm like, how can Jesus thirst? Didn't he part the Red Sea? Can he just send a boy to hit a rock and turn water into wine? 
Why is Jesus thirsty? Isn't he all man and all God? When we have a hypostatic union, both of them being able to come together. But in both situations, it's all about relationship. It's all about our worship. And so in verse number nine, in chapter 19, verse 20, 28, you see Jesus has went through the ridicule, ridicule. They spit in his face. He's been whipped in the back 39 times with a cat of nine tails. One, two, three. Carrying a cross for miles. Sitting in the garden of Gethsemane, understanding what he's about to endure getting ready to dehydrate to the point where he sweats in the garden and blood starts to come out. Because he's getting ready to carry the weight and the sin of the world to make the greatest transfer of them all when he takes our thirst for us to be able to triumph. And it says everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. In this moment, Jesus takes all of our sin on our back. Every mistake, every issue, everything that we've done, everything that we're doing, and everything that we will do. And he receives all of that. And he says, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty because I love them. I'm thirsty because now they will have the answer. I'm thirsty because when I go, I'm going to send them the comforter, the Holy Spirit that will lead them and guide them in all truth. And so when times get hard and times get tough and we can go back and have a flashback and want to react like we used to, God is saying, you have living water on the inside of you. He's ready for us as we conclude this fast moving into next week, and we testify about of God's greatness, about of God's goodness, and there's many of us wanting to give up, and we're getting thirsty, and we said, this water's not good enough, and I'm telling you to hold on. I'm telling you, on the other side of obedience, God is going to blow your mind. Stand to your feet, church. Amen. You could bow your heads. Stephanie, Angie, you can make your way up. I want to do a prayer. I know this is a little bit different today, but God is trying to do something a little bit different. God wants to be able to take us to another realm, another dimension, but we have to thirst for him. So I'm going to pray. Receive that as your first dismissal. And for those that need prayer, for those that...